in. Father God, we are so thankful for this morning. Uh, we're thankful for the, the time to gather, and we're thankful for the time to worship. And now, Father, I pray that you will open our minds, open our hearts, open our spirits to your word and to the teaching this morning. We're focusing on surrender this morning, and I pray that you'll continue to nudge our hearts uh, toward that very goal today. I just pray for the, the wisdom um, and the words this morning. Father, work through each of us as we grow to know you deeper at this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we are in week four of a five-part series that we have titled Worship to Live By. And as Josh mentioned, every week we've picked a, a different hymn, and we've taken a look both at the life of the writer, and then we've taken a look at the words of the song. We have worshiped through that song, and then we've also, through the pulpit, taken an opportunity to really dive into the theology and the scripture underneath it and the lessons that we can gather. And as we're on week four, um, and we learn very soon about Judson Van Deventer, the writer of I Surrender All, there is a theme that is emerging between all of these writers, and that is this. There is power, there is transforming power that God has to move people to write beautiful music, to do beautiful things with their lives. Now, whether you're a songwriter or whether you have some other skill that you have to give to this world, the message to me is simply this. When we submit, when we surrender, when we give ourselves to Christ, there's a transforming power that fills us and gives us the ability to do things that maybe we never thought we could do for the glory of God. And that's the story of every one of these writers. Whether it was John Newton who was broken to the point where he understood God's grace, to whether it was someone who wrote a song about losing everything and still holding close and clinging to God. Everybody has a story, and everybody has the opportunity to feel that transforming power that God gives us when we submit to him. So here's a little bit about Jordan or Judson, excuse me, Van Deventer, before we get into the story, or excuse me, before we get into the scripture behind this song. Judson Van Deventer was raised in a Christian home. He had all of the trappings of a solid family, a great solid family foundation, and at age 17, he gave his life to Christ. He was a brilliant man, very creative. He went on to graduate with a university degree in art, and he was employed successfully as a teacher and an administrator in a high school art school. Very well-rounded, very well-traveled. He traveled extensively throughout Europe, and he was also very involved in his local church. And so he studies and he teaches music. And here's something I found amazing. He mastered 13 different instruments. He could play 13 different instruments, and he sang and composed music throughout his early adult years. And he was very involved in the music ministry of his local church. And it's at some point along the way that he found himself a little bit torn because while he was enjoying a successful teaching career, he started to feel a nudging that maybe God was pushing him to use his talents more in a full-time ministry setting. And he struggled with this calling for five years until finally in 1896, Judson Van Deventer, while he was conducting music for a church event, finally decided the Holy Spirit had moved him to the point where he was able and ready to fully surrender his life. He says, God, I want to take all my talents, all of my treasure, everything that I have, and I want to be fully used by you. And so at that point, he devoted himself to full-time evangelism, and it was in preparation for one of the evangelistic um, days that he was having, one of the events that he was planning, that he wrote this song, I Surrender All. It was a testament to not only his own journey, 
but it was encouragement for everybody he was going to be speaking to. What does it look like to surrender everything to Jesus? And so we get that great opening line, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And you know, I've been messing around in my mind a little bit this week about what it truly means to surrender. And I think the connotation so many times that we have about surrender is it's out of defeat. It's out of submission. Uh, Several years ago, um, we were at the state football playoffs, and our elementary principal, a good friend of mine, really big guy, really strong guy. He's a former wrestling coach. And so we got into this huge debate about who's a better athlete, a basketball player or a wrestler. And you can tell where this is going to go. little background on this guy. He was a former defensive lineman in college gigantically strong person. I had never really seen his strength until this night. So we get to John back and forth a little bit like guys do, and all I remember was reaching out to give him a little pat on his face for whatever reason. I have no idea. And the next thing I know, he's got one arm behind my back. He's got his other forearm in my, on my neck, and he has, uh, has me on top of the bed in our hotel room completely submerged. <laughs> And I laid there, and I laid there, and he finally kept saying, as soon as you admit I'm, I'm better, as soon as, you met re- as soon as you admit wrestling is better, I'll get off. And I laid there, and I laid there, and I laid there. And the other principal who was with us was watching, and he later said, you know, Jeff, for five minutes, I literally could not see one square inch of your body. And I also had a huge fear that you had stopped breathing. But finally, I surrendered. Finally, I submitted, and out of defeat, Mr. Shook told me and taught me how strong he was. You see, that to me, when we think of surrender, sometimes we think of defeat. We think of the white flag. We think of giving up. We think of our arms up. And somehow we sometimes connotate that to a defeat. But I want to make this position to you this morning. When we surrender our life to Christ, it is not about giving up. But rather, it's by giving our life away. And that's a huge difference. And we're really going to explore that this morning. When we surrender all to Christ, we're not giving up. We're giving our lives away. And we're going to dive into that this morning by looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. And in particular, we're going to read through some of the most important things he had to say in his letter to the Philippians. And this is kind of cool because it's a little bit of a preview to a full study of Philippians that we're going to be doing in November. But when we, uh, if you would all just take out your, your handouts with your bulletins here, I want to get into what Paul talks about when he talks about what a surrendered life looks like. There are measurable things that we can examine in our own lives to help us understand, do I have right now what it looks like to be surrendered to Christ? We're going to take a look at four points today. We're going to take a look at a life surrendered because we have a clear focus. We're going to talk about a life surrendered because we have the ability to persevere. We're going to talk about a life surrendered because we have uncontrollable joy. And we're going to talk about a surrendered life that has fully the power of God inside of it. And I want to examine all of these in light of the scripture that we're going to be going through. And we're going to be using different scriptures from Philippians to help guide us. So hopefully there's some room for some notes and some things if you want to jot them down. I believe we're going to be able to put every scripture up here on the board. And I'd love to dive in right now. Let's talk about our guiding verse first. And that is this. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, 20 to 21. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ 
will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And here is a key. This is verse 21, and this is key. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Surrendering to Christ, according to Paul, is victory for our lives, and it's victory for our eternities. And so let's start with a clear focus. Let's talk about what that looks like, what that means. In Philippians 3.14, Paul writes this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want you to note that verse again. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, this is sort of a 10-year moment for me. And I'm going to share this story because it's such an integral part of my faith journey and in my story. And I don't know if it's to the exact day, but I do know that within a week, it was something that happened exactly 10 years ago. And I'll, pull, I'll put you right in the position of where I was. We were in a park in Lincoln, Nebraska. And Ben and Joey would have been probably, well, three and one. And I remember being at a park, and we were starting school the next day. And it was just a month earlier that I would made a decision to leave what was a comfortable teaching position, where I was very happy, and to assume a leadership position as a, as a high school principal at a school, Lawton Bronson. And the circumstances around that were kind of stressful. Um, the previous administrator had been let go under controversial sit terms. It was all in the paper. It was in the media. There was just a lot of turmoil swirling. And I was really worried about, you know, getting myself maybe involved with that. But I also knew I wanted, you know, I was ready for that opportunity. And so the very first, you know, you look for signs and things. The very first parent that I met that summer, I was up at the school. She came in. I introduced myself. She says, oh, you're Mr. Thielander. I said, yes, I am. It's great to meet you. She said, so you're going to be the principal here. I said, yes, I am. She looks me right in the eye, and she says, good luck with that. Okay. <laughs> and so as that month was going on and I was doing all this preparation and getting all these things together and thinking about all these things I had to do, I found myself almost paralyzed <laughs> with fear, almost paralyzed with little bits of self-doubt. Can I do this? Can I lead this? And I just remember this so like it was yesterday. I remember being at that park, pushing the boys in the swing, thinking, I got to go to work tomorrow, and I don't know what this is going to be like. I was scared out of my mind. I was scared. I was almost paralyzed with fear. And so that same summer, my grandpa was really sick. And so there was the, the, the time in helping to care for him. There was uh, planning a move. There was all of these things that were going on. And I can tell you this, where I started to really drop the ball was I was thinking about all these things that I had to do and that I was going to do and that I was going to be out front with. And as I kept focusing on myself, I was more and more losing focus on God's purpose. And a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, day by day, I was getting so busy that I was losing time in the Word. I was losing time in my relationship with Beth. I was losing time in prayer. And I was paying a price for it. And so it was a couple months in when I started waking up in the middle of the night with just these, almost felt like I was suffocating. I was having these little panic attacks in the middle of the night. My mind was racing when I'd go to sleep, and it wouldn't stop racing. And so I was actually waking up in the middle of the night in these just sheer panics. And it was awful, and it was terrifying, but at the same time, I was learning through this. And I'm going to tell you the moment where everything changed. 
because this has everything to do with focus. And if we don't understand focus, we can't get to these next three points. Good friend of mine by the name of Christopher Stagg, he was a trainer in several um, schools up and down the corridor here. And Chris always fancied himself as a trainer by vocation, but he was a messenger of the gospel by heart. And so Chris would strike up conversation with everybody that came across his training table. And so I got to know him when I was teaching and coaching at Westwood, and we had struck up a friendship, and it was that fall where I really got reconnected with him. And I know I've told some of you this story before, but Chris looked at me as I was just kind of telling him what I was going through, and he said, Jeff, here's the deal. I'll never forget these words. He said, Jeff, you've got to get in the Word, you've got to stay in the Word, and then you've got to surround yourself by people who are in the Word. And it was through that year, as I was going through that first year growing and learning, I just made this decision. I decided that if I was going to do one thing right, it was going to be this. Every single person that I was going to encounter, I was, I was going to build a relationship with them. And that all began to stem from my reconnection and my focus first on God and what he was teaching me and the people I was surrounded with and what they were teaching me. And I decided, you know, every time a student comes into my office, whether I'm going to get ready to suspend them or whether I'm going to get ready to pat them on the back, we're going to have a teachable opportunity. I'm going to look at every single kid and I'm going to love them with everything I got. And I'm going to look at every single person in that school, and I'm going to love them with everything I got. And I'm going to look at every parent and every person in the community, everybody who comes in and out of my office, and I'm going to love them the best that I can. And I'm going to let them see my faith through how I treat them, how I talk to them, how I love them. And sometimes it gets really hard, as you know. But what started to transform from that very year and what happened 10 years beyond that is I learned this. Every single time I started a day with an attitude where my first focus was on God, how I interacted people was very different than when my first focus was on what I needed to do and about myself. And so if you were to follow the last 10 years of my life, you could see an arc of where things were really flying and times when I would struggle. And every single time the common denominator was this, my focus always when it was on God, that focus meant that my energy, that my attention was where it needed to be, and everything would click. When my energy was falling away from God, that's when I would get frustrated. That's when I would start to, you know, drift away a little bit and get angry and this and that, and it just took a time. And isn't that the truth with our life? Every single day, we have a choice to make with where we're going to put our attention, and I want to share this verse with you because I think it is incredibly important. It's, it's not in your, in, your, in your notes, but I want to share this with you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But that's such an important verse to us to remember, is that when we put our focus first on Christ, when we put our focus on the, the, the healing power, the love that he promises us, it changes who we are on a day-to-day basis. It changes our relationships. It gives us the focus and the energy that we need on a day-to-day basis. So when I give him my focus, here's a practical step that I want to start us with. A practical step for everyone in here. When we give our focus, that means we start our day in prayer. We end our day in prayer. And if that's new to anyone or if that's something that seems a little foreign, here's what I suggest you do. Start off with something I'm thankful for, something I'm sorry for, and something I'm in need of. That's just an easy conversation. I, I've learned this over the years of 16 years of being married to Beth, that when I'm not engaged in daily conversation with her, we sort of drift apart. We're not communicating. We're not talking. 
how is my relationship with God any different? If I'm not being intentional about prayer, if I'm not being intentional about reaching out to him through my friendships and through my study and through my prayer life, how am I going to know how he can direct me? And so we start with our focus. We put our focus on God first. And then we take a look at the gifts that come, the surrendering. When we give to him, when we give our life away, we start to look at the ways that he begins to bless us, the ways he begins to pour into us. And I think the first gift that he gives us, one of the first and most important things that he provides us is the ability to persevere. I want you to think about chains for a second. I thought about bringing a chain in, I didn't. But I want you just to picture a a, a chain. And there are two things a chain can do. A chain can bind us. It can hold us back. It can hold us to something and keep us sort of entrapped. That's one thing that a chain can do. But you know what else a chain can do when we look at it another way? Chains can link us. Chains can provide linkage. And sometimes through that linkage, it makes us stronger when we're chained together for the right purposes and the right reasons. I want you to know this about Paul. During the course of his life, from the moment he gave his life to Christian service, from the day he gave his life to sharing the gospel, here are some of the things he encountered. He was beaten by a violent mob. He was shipwrecked. He was chained. At the time he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he was chained 24 hours a day to what was called a Praetorian guard. And these were the most well-trained guards in all of Caesar's army, and they were the most powerful, the most well-connected. And here's Paul giving himself away, and he winds up in prison, and he's chained to these guards. And I want you to look at Philippians 1, 12 through 15. Notice how he responds. Listen to the excitement in his voice almost as you read this. He says, back to his brethren in in, in Philippi, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here's what's going on here. Picture these palace guards. And their job every single day for four hours at a time is to remain chained to these prisoners. Now, if you wind up in prison, there's a good chance that you're not always a very nice person, right? Can you imagine some of the people that they were chained to on a daily basis? Can you imagine the things that were said to them or the way that they were treated or talked to? And so all of a sudden comes this guy who's doing nothing but teaching them love. He's preaching joy. He's chained, and yet he's showing them this energy and this joy because he's rejoicing in the fact that he's chained for Christ. And these guards are looking at him, and they're thinking, what is it with this guy? And eventually, as they see him acting in this way under these circumstances, many of them, according to Scripture, have begun to give their life to Christ. Because it is so inconceivable, so unbelievable to them that somebody could have this kind of joy in these types of circumstances. And here's the practical application that I want to give you from this point this morning. I don't know what kind of chains are binding you today. I don't know all of the struggles that each one of you are facing. Maybe there are worries about your work. 
Maybe there are issues within your family. Maybe there is pain from some unresolved conflict. There's dysfunction in relationships that you want to be healthy, and right now it's not, and you don't understand how to make it better. Whatever circumstance you're facing where you feel there are chains around you, I want to give you this encouragement. Philippians 4.13 says that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And I did a little research on this this week. And actually, the word for strength in, this, in the translation that was written in the Greek is a word called astutimus, and it's where the word dynamite stems from. And so I want us to think about this verse in a whole new light this morning. We can do all things through Christ who gives us great power. That's important. When we surrender our lives, when we give ourselves away and we put our focus on God and he gives us that perseverance, what we're promised in Scripture is that we're also given great power. And so it's not my circumstances that matter, but it's my willingness to persevere through them. It's my willingness to see an opportunity in every challenge that comes my way. When I'm connected to the vine, when I'm connected to Christ, I see every challenge that comes along as an opportunity to witness and to share. And that's how Paul saw this. He's chained And yet he's not chained by the chains. He is unbound by his words of encouragement. And he's actually leading the guards who are holding him. He's leading them to Christ. And he's doing that because of his willingness to persevere. The next thing I want to walk through is the deep joy that comes in surrendering all. Paul writes in Philippians 4.12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You know that the word joy appears 18 times in this Philippians letter, 18 times. And you see to Paul, joy, his personal joy is not dependent on his circumstances. It is dependent entirely on his relationship to Christ. And so here's our challenge for this one. You remember the movie Christmas Vacation? We all do, right? It's a classic now. It's about 25 years old. But there was a scene, and Clark Griswold, for all of his flaws, he had a pretty big heart of gold, didn't he? And so Clark was going to have this great Christmas for his family, and one of the things he was going to do was have the best lit house on the block. And so you remember the scene and all the pain and all the struggle that he went through to get all those lights on? And all of the ups and downs, and he finally clicks that switch, and what happens? The whole house lights up, doesn't it? And you remember that scene as the whole house is lighting up, and all the meters are flying, and everyone's losing their power? He's going to each individual person in his family. He's putting his arm around each one of them, and they're all rejoicing in this moment until he comes to his father-in-law. Remember this? And his father-in-law is sort of a cranky person. He sort of finds fault all the time in Clark, and there's that scene where Clark gets his arm around him, and his father-in-law says... There's a light up there that's not blinking. And Clark just nods and goes, thanks for noticing. And, you know, I think about this when I think about joy, because I want to ask you this. Do Do you know anyone who, no matter how joyful that circumstance is, no matter how big something is, they always seem to find the one blinking light? You work with anybody like this? Are you yourself somebody like this? Can we all be someone like this at times, depending on our mood? See, this is important because this is the kind of thing that can just drain life right out of a workplace. It drains life right out of a community. I've had the great joy of knowing certain people along my life path 
who have been nothing but joyful. <laughs> They're constantly encouraging. They're constantly supporting. They're constantly offering praise and hope. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have things to complain about. And that doesn't mean they have circumstances that they're just ignoring and pretending like everything is happy. But what they do have is this innate skill that when they have to confront something, they come in a way that makes you feel like they want to work together. They're not stirring the pot behind the scenes. They're not creating dissension. They're not creating pain with their words. To live with deep joy means that we are always satisfied with not necessarily just the circumstances of life, but we're satisfied that God's in control. And we show that joy, we project that on those around us because we know that at the end of the day, heaven awaits us. That's joy. That's an understanding of being in complete surrender. And if you are truly blessed with those joyful people in your lives, hold on to them close. And ask yourselves this, does the world see that joy in me? Does the world see the joy that I have because I know, I know Jesus' love? Regardless of what was turning around inside of him or what was going on around in his world, Paul was determined to have joy. And that's something we as a church need to be focused on. Do people see joy in us when we go and leave this church and we go into our work worlds? Do people see us as joyful people? I want to share one last thing with this, and then I'll get to the last point. There is a study that just came out last year called the Happiness Frenzy, and I think this is very curious. Did you know that in the last 10 years, they've done studies on this, in the last 10 years, there have been 4,000 self-help books that have been written, all geared toward helping people find happiness. 4,000 new titles in the last 10 years. And I ask myself, you know, in the richest most abundant nation on this earth, why are so many people seemingly so dissatisfied? Why are we so unhappy? Why are we so unsettled? Why are we just not full of joy and peace? And I honestly believe a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're seeking circumstances that are material and they're not of Christ. I believe that's a huge part of it. I believe that we're seeking things that only Christ can fulfill. And Christ can only fulfill them when we're fully surrendered to him. Because I ask myself, how on earth could we ever else explain Paul's joy in the midst of imprisonment? His only focus, his only attention was on Jesus and sharing the gospel and understanding that. It's joy. My last thing I want to share with you this morning is that God promises us his presence and his power in our lives. Philippians 3.10, Paul writes this. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul longs for the power of God. And Matthew Henry's Bible commentary shares this. Paul's deepest secret, what he longed for the most, was the presence and power of God. He desired the presence and power not just for heaven in the future, but he desired it for him now on this earth. You see, Paul at one time encountered Jesus and was blinded. He saw miraculous healings, including his own, restored eyesight, healing from a snake bite. He saw an earthquake that freed him at one time from prison. He saw the Holy Spirit changing lives. He was part of the, some of the first churches that were formed, and he saw communities come together, and he saw cities transformed, and he saw all of this in the name of Jesus. And he was leading a lot of that. 
And that presence and that power of God, I want to assure you, is available to every single one of us. And what we have to ask ourselves is, do we truly believe that? And how does that apply for us today? How many times do we truly just stop and go to God and ask him to show up, to ask him to pour his amazing power into us, that power that Paul talks about throughout Philippians? Paul says this. He says, to die is gain. What he's saying here is, everything I'm experiencing here on this earthly life, it's scratching the surface to what's going to be waiting for me in heaven. And so, God, put your power into me every single day that I may live my life to serve you, that I may live my life to find the joy that comes in serving you, and also, Father, help keep my eye on that prize that's down the road, which is eventually that eternity with you. That's the promise that God gives. And I think sometimes we lose sight of this when we have such abundance around us. About five years ago, when I got involved with World Vision, we, a couple of friends and I started running a lot, and so um, I ran for an organization called World Vision. And you really begin to understand when you see ministries that are out serving third world countries how little so many other places have. And I think sometimes our abundance in our nation maybe kind of blinds us to the fact that there are a lot of other people who have a lot of other needs. And for someone like Paul who's in prison or for someone who's living with very little to eat or very little clothes on their back, they see heaven much differently sometimes than we do because we sort of create our own little heaven here, don't we? Because we have so much. What Paul is telling us is whatever life, whatever life brings you here, the joys, the pains, there is something much bigger coming beyond. And that's what we anticipate. And that's what we look forward to. And so we ask ourselves this. As Josh comes up this morning, ask, we ask ourselves this. To live is to, is to have Christ. And I want to ask you just these four questions. Where's our focus? Is it there? Is it there on Christ? Do we have the willingness to persevere through the tough times that we're going to face? Do we have that joy? Do we truly have a joy-filled life? And are we willing to let God test his power through us? When we surrender all, when we give ourselves away, that's when God can do amazing things. It's sort of, as if, sort of as if Jesus is saying, I gave my life for you. Will you truly give me yours? And I think that's what it means to surrender. And it's not easy because if it was, it wouldn't be surrendering, would it? There are things we have to give up. But what does it look like when God gets my best time, my best talents, and my best treasure? Now, last night we had an amazing evening. We had a car show here last night. And I learned a lot about cars that I didn't know about. But, you know, that wasn't about the cars. It wasn't at all about the cars. It was about outreach. And it was really powerful to be able to say to all of our guests and all of our visitors, because they kept asking, okay, there's dinner, and, you know, everybody's got their cars parked, and there's all this fellowship. What, what do we owe for this? <laughs> I bet I was asked that 12, 14, 15 times. What do we owe for this? And it was so awesome to just look them in the eye and say, you owe us nothing. This is our gift to you. You see, what I hope is that when we do those types of things, when we're acting in that kind of service, when we're living in that kind of community, people see what's going on, and they, say, they see people who are just giving their lives away. And when they ask, why on earth are you giving your life away? Paul, why on earth are you so joyful while you're chained to me, as a guard might say to him? We can simply look back at them and say, we give ourselves away because of Jesus. And that's the window, that's the door that begins to open up to allow us to share the gospel. That's what it means to surrender. We're not giving up. 
We're giving our lives away. And each day we want to work the daily practice of what that looks like and how we can help each other do that. We want to surrender all, all of us, all of our time, all of our treasure, all of our talents. What does that look like? That's the Christian community that we're going to be talking about and learning about in the months ahead. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we are just thankful for this morning. Father, I pray that um, the encouragement from Paul allows us to see that we're in position right now to make a decision to completely surrender, to completely give our lives away. And Father, I just pray as we do that, that you will help open up our eyes to all of the needs around us, to all the ways we can serve, to all the joy we can bring, to help in persevering things that we're facing. Father, help us feel your full power. By surrendering, Father, we're reminded that you are there with us. We give our lives away in hope of serving you better. And we thank you for Jesus who died for us, making this all possible. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.